this week's Torah portion called Bo in the Hebrew, also known as come in the English, is where God called his people to come out of Egypt and to worship him in the wilderness. This is also the portion of scripture which you may famously know as when God struck Egypt with those great signs and wonders, those judgments which caused Pharaoh ultimately to let God's people go just as God asked. I want to talk about this portion, but I want to talk about it in light that in a light that you may have not heard before. I want to talk about God's mercy. But when you think of God's mercy and you think about the portion of scripture about Israel leaving and God judging Egypt, most people wouldn't think about that as being a merciful story. God comes and he judges. It even concludes with the death of the firstborns of all the homes that did not have the blood on the doorposts. What's merciful about all this? Brothers and sisters, this is one of the most merciful stories in all of the Bible. And so we're going to talk about that as well as God's mercy in other places in the Old and New Testament alike. It's important for us to understand God's mercy because this character attribute of God, if we really understood it, we can start having it on ourselves, exhibiting it ourselves to people around us, because how you see God will greatly impact how you treat man, the people he called you to treat the same way he did. So how did God treat people? One of the first things that we see is how he treated his own people. When Israel was crying out, God, help us deliver us from this bondage, this slavery in Egypt. We read what God did. Exodus 2 verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. One of the most beautiful parts of the story is how it's written that God heard their cries, their prayers for deliverance. But it also says that God saw it all and God knew. It's like the scripture is telling us, yes, they cried out for help. But even apart from their cries, God remembers them. God saw what was happening to them and God knew about it even before they prayed and asked. You know, to just think God is God. He is the creator of the universe. He has no obligation to know, to look that way, to care or do anything for Israel apart from his own words. You see, brothers and sisters, Israel were a bunch of men who had sinned just like me, you 
and even many in Egypt themselves. Yes, Israel comes from a line of people who God made a covenant with, with Abraham. But ultimately, Abraham, before God came to him, was a pagan too. Israel weren't better in any way except that they were chosen. See, God saw the people of the world having no hope, sinning continuously. And they, and they can't come near him because of their sin. And they can't get fixed because they just keep sinning no matter how hard they try. They themselves can do nothing for themselves. They can't save themselves from their own passions and desires of the flesh that leads to death for the wages of sin is death. And even while God didn't need to do anything because he's so holy, he is set apart. He still decided to look upon you, to look upon me as he looked upon the world and to call us out and to say, I want to make a way. I am bringing about a solution, which is the gospel of how Yeshua dies for our sins. This is what is echoed through the pages of our Bible, how God comes and he draws near, even though he never really needed to. But that's how his mercy extends to even the sinner, the, the those who are are wicked in their hearts and who have devised wicked schemes. He is even after their hearts to bring them freedom. But see, God is not just after the hearts of his own people, people who uh, he may have made covenant with before, but even Pharaoh. Even Pharaoh, God had mercy on. You see, when we look at this story, this this relationship between God and Pharaoh, we typically think about God simply bringing these judgments on Egypt. But we must remember that even though there were these great ten judgments ending with the death of the firstborn, these judgments upon Egypt were in, in effect warnings. God came and he's first before he did anything, he told Moses to go tell Pharaoh that he needs to do something or else. And so this warning goes out to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He doesn't want to turn from his passions. And so God starts the judgments to and he's giving Pharaoh every time after a judgment. Moses comes back to Pharaoh and says, look, Pharaoh, what has happened? I'm asking you again, let the people go. And then Pharaoh says no. And then God comes again with another judgment. And this happens over and over and over again, where Pharaoh can see how real God is. A God has power. This is not just some death idol like Pharaoh's God, false gods were. This is the real one true God who has shown up on the scene and still but Pharaoh, he hardens his heart, but God gives mercy. He gives chances. You see, brothers and sisters, Pharaoh could have gone and after the first or the second plague said, you know what? Just go. It's fine. I give up. I see this God is for real. I'm not going to mess with this anymore, but he didn't. And so we see that God has 
mercy even on Pharaoh because God could have come on the first day and just destroyed all of Egypt and Pharaoh and, and Israel could have just walked right out of there. But no, he has mercy on Pharaoh and extending him these warnings on Pharaoh and Egypt. And then ultimately, when Pharaoh does not uh, let them go, he does put judgment on the evildoer because God is merciful and God is just for God to be merciful. God has to be just. You have to be to be merciful. You ought to be merciful on the oppressed and to be merciful on the oppressed. There has to be judgment on the evildoer who's holding the oppressed captive. For if you have no judgment, you can have mercy and have mercy, but the evildoers will get away with murder. And so God, perfectly merciful, perfectly just, extends both mercy and justice all in the same story. And we see that God does this in our New Testament, too. For example, Peter, one of the Lord's disciples, he goes and he is war- he's warned first by Yeshua. He, Jesus says, Peter, you are about to deny me three times, even though you feel so devoted, you're about to deny me. And Peter goes and he in effect did. He denied the Messiah three times. God warned Peter. Peter sinned. And then after Peter realized his sin, he repented. And with his repentance, God forgave. It's so beautiful that when Yeshua uh, is back, uh, risen from the dead and he's back, one of the first things he says is, tell Peter, you know, tell Peter, I'm back. In effect, tell Peter, everything is okay. The Messiah was thinking about Peter, even though he knew Peter had denied him, just like he prophesied he would have his the Messiah's heart was still for Peter. He still loved Peter. He still he forgave Peter because he saw Peter's repentance. And so this is who our God is. He warns us. He 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 tells us, don't go there. This is going to hurt you. This is going to you're going to be making mistakes. But if we even go there out of disobedience, even if we didn't pray as we should have when God told us to, like Peter didn't pray in the garden, but fell asleep instead, leading to his sin. Whatever the case is for us, whatever we didn't do that the father told us to do when we come and we repent, when we are convicted in our heart by the Holy Spirit of our sin, he's quick to forgive us and cleanse us of all transgressions. As I mentioned earlier, one of the most merciful things of our Lord is that he extended this invitation to have a relationship with him as well as freedom, not just to a native born Israelite. You know, and many people think this idea is more New Testament, this idea that what what Jesus brought is salvation to the world. And and he did do that. But God's character has always been to extend freedom to all people instead of just a native born group 
like so many other religions often have tried to do and bring making them very exclusive and closed off and not for everyone. But instead, God made this for everyone who would who would grab a hold of him. You see, when we look at the story of Egypt, we see that all are invited to be free. You see, when he, he tells them, I am there is going to come a plague that is going to destroy that's going to kill the firstborn of everyone who does not have blood on the doorpost. That's the last judgment on Egypt and both the Israelites as well as the Egyptians alike. Whoever you are, they're all invited. They're all said to put the blood on the doorpost and you will live your child. Your firstborns will live. And so Israel obviously goes ahead and most of them, as far as we know, does that. And then what's interesting, though, is we know that there were also likely at least a few Egyptian families who saw these previous signs and wonders that God has been doing in Egypt in these judgments. And they likely said, we see his power and we want that. We want that God. Because our gods, they're just dumb idols. They're powerless. They've never done anything for us. But this God, he shows up the moment Moses speaks. And so everyone, whether they're an Israelite or whether they're a pagan, well, no matter where they've been, no matter what they've done, no matter anything in their past, if they had the faith in God, in his word, that word that was brought forth to say, put the blood on the door. They had faith in that word to the point where they actually did it. And they put the blood on their doorposts. The, the death angel passed over their homes. And though, and then now we see them leave uh, Egypt because Pharaoh lets them go. And when they enter the wilderness, God is very protective over anyone who is not part of Israel. Because, yes, those who are part of Israel, they're going to look after each other. But if you have a pagan in your midst, this guy who also put blood on his doorpost, but he's not really of your tribe. He's not really an Israelite. He's maybe a pagan, an Egyptian. You know, we know what people do as they start, you know, they they're not friendly to outsiders. But God comes specifically and he says, I want you to treat that stranger the same way that you would treat a native born for you were all slaves in Egypt. So he's saying, I, I'm your God, no matter who you are, I am your God and you all worship the same God, the one true God now. So start getting along, love each other. This is what he's saying. And this revelation this who God is and God is not favor doesn't have favoritism and he, he doesn't restrict himself to a certain tribe or people this is radical this is there's there's no other religion in the world that has the same um, attribute for their God because you know if you look at Islam for example they restrict access to their God by language. If you can't speak their language, you can't read their biblical text. Right. And there's, for example, even um, the black Hebrew Israelites, right? They believe if you're not a black person, then you can't worship God in your 
you know, you don't have a chance at that. Or, you know, there's all these other religions that have the same kind of things. But our God comes and he says, no matter who you are, no matter what color your skin is, no matter where you're from, what, no matter what you've done, no matter what side of the train tracks you love, I am available to you. Rich or poor, I am available. Male or female, I'm available to the same extent. I am available and my freedom is available to all. This is what Jesus came to repeat. He came to say, I have come for anyone in the world who would believe in me. So God is merciful that he extends this invitation to all, no matter what tribe or tongue. But he is also merciful because even when we have unbelief, he is patient and merciful. You see, if you think about what happens next in the story, Israel, they go ahead and they start um, leaving uh, Egypt. And when they get to this part of the Red Sea, they've already seen so many amazing miracles that God has done for them to ultimately let Pharaoh's hand go of Israel. But Still, they're, they're standing there before the Red Sea and they're just throwing their hands up in the air and they're just like, oh, well, we're going to die here. It's over with Moses. Are you ready to make us some graves here? You know, kind of thing. And, and even at that point, God has still mercy on their unbelief that he will continue to carry them. And he splits the sea through Moses for them. And as they go through the sea, if you know the rest of the story, that would not be the end of Israel's unbelief, nor the end of their complaining. That's how it's often been for us. How many times have we had unbelief even after seeing God come through before? And then we would have unbelief again. But God has mercy and he does. He's teaching us. He's he's slowly showing his power more and more to us so that we would ultimately have no more excuse for unbelief. You see, if you think about doubting Thomas, Thomas had seen similarly many mighty works through the life of the Messiah. But then when after he is crucified, he doubts and thinks it's over with and it was all a lie. And then the Messiah comes and says, no, here I am. This is not a lie. This is all true. I'm resurrected. I came back from the dead. But God have mercy on Thomas. And so similarly, God has mercy on us. And when we look at this, what do we have to hold on to? You see, the resurrection of the Messiah is the greatest miracle. And it's historically an historical event that we can all look to as an illustration of the power of God. But it doesn't just stop at an historical event. The Messiah's power and life is still alive today. And in our lives, we can connect to that. We can see his life. He's alive. He's not a dead God, a, a dead person. He is alive. He resurrected and he resides with his father at the right hand of God. And he like he hears our prayers. He sees our sufferings. He knows it like it says, and God knew and he has power still today. And so 
He's not shy to show his power in your life. If you are willing to put a little bit of faith in him, because see, with Israel, it started. They God showed up and showed them something and then they had to make a move. They had to put the blood on the doorpost. And so this is your move. Are you going to put the blood on the doorpost? Are you going to take that step on the water? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to put some measure of faith of a mustard seed in him? That's all he desires. For if we do that, he comes and he shows up and gives us even more reason to put more than a mustard seed worth of faith in him for next time. But there is an event that I want to talk about. It's so similar. It goes back even further. You see, the flood of the world with Noah. And you may think again, similarly, well, the world was flooded. Where was God's mercy? See, brothers, sisters, scholars estimate that the ark took about 55 up to 75 years to build. That means that the world back then had up to 75 years to look upon God's warning. The ark being built by Noah every day was a reminder to the world of the coming flood. It was a call to the world to repent of their sins, which was the cause of the coming flood. But the world did not repent. And after that judgment came, God showed mercy in giving them time, a long time, and then judgment when they did not repent. But even though this judgment took place, he did not destroy all, but again, have mercy on the righteous. And so what he did was he put a rainbow in the sky. And this rainbow is so incredible. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but God says this rainbow will be a sign that to us that he will never flood the world again the way he did before. But think about a rainbow. What is a rainbow? You see, brothers and sisters, when we were young, we'd like to think about a rainbow as this physical object. And at the end of it, there's a treasure, right? But in fact, rainbows, they're not physical objects that you can touch or feel. They're really a reflection of light. God is light. And he put this light, this, this special reflection in the sky for us when there is water. But see, here's the thing about light. This reflection of light that is a rainbow is something that you perceive and you receive it and you see it. It's not a physical object that's there. In fact, the, because it's reflection, it means that the rainbow that you see is different from the rainbow that the person next to you would see because it's they would see a slightly different reflection based off the angle they're standing at. Right. Basically, everyone sees their own rainbow to some degree, you could argue. So this is all to simply say that you could argue that the rainbow only really exists as long as there is someone to look upon it.
The rainbow is God's promise that mankind will always be around. There will always be someone around to look upon the rainbow. Therefore, we will always have the mercy of God with us. The rainbow is communicating to us, reminding us about his everlasting mercy. In fact, the rainbow will not pass away when the earth passes away. It will even be upon his throne. It says in Revelation 4 verse 3, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. The rainbow signifies that God will always have mercy on the righteous, like with Israel when they were crying out to him, like to Noah when he was grieved in his heart about the sin around him. And he will even have mercy on the unrighteous to warn them before their destruction, like he did with Pharaoh and like he did with the world. So when you see the rainbow outside today, tomorrow or next month, be reminded of God's mercy, for that is why it exists. He made it. And remember that the rainbow you see is different from the one that someone else is, someone else sees. And this is an individual promise to you that God is making to you. When you see that rainbow, he is saying, I choose you to have mercy on your life. During this teaching, we have been talking about God's mercy. But why? I want you to know about God's mercy so that you can know what you ought to put on yourself. Because God desires us and puts a responsibility towards us to act in a certain way, to walk like he walked. And so Yeshua, when he was here before the sacrifice, he said something very famous. He said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So treat others as you wish to be treated. That's beautiful. That's lovely. And I would really ask for you to consider doing that with everything you have. But I also want to submit to you that when Jesus said this, this was before he died to show God's ultimate display of love for the world. So people back then could only wish for good treatment and think on, you know, how they would wish to be treated. But now I want to submit to you that the responsibility after his death, burial and resurrection is even greater because now it's not just treat others as you wish to be treated, but now it's treat others as you were treated. This is even greater because you were treated beyond your wildest wishes. The Messiah died for your sins. God offered a sacrifice, a way out. This is something that is a beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. We could not have thought of this ourselves. We could have never expected it from God on our own. 
This is how radical it is. If you really understood how holy God is, if you really understood how defiled you are in comparison to his holiness, you would understand me when I say that we could not even go with our mind to think that God would do such a thing. We couldn't even wish for it in our wildest dreams, but yet he did it. He died for a man, a woman like me and you and the rest of the world. This is how we were treated. And so this mercy, this forgiveness of our debt that was extended to us. We are called to extend to others. The Messiah told a story that is so connected to this, where he told about a man who was in great debt to a king, a lord over him. And he was dragged in front of that lord and and he was saying, where is my money? Give it back, pay it back. And the man who's in debt said, oh, please have forgiveness on me, have mercy on me. And ultimately, that man who lorded over him, who, how, who, who he was in debt to, he forgave his debt. And as that man whose debt was forgiven came out of the courts, he came and he bumped into another who owed him money. And so then he strangled him and said, where's my money? Where is my debt? But then the original Lord who saw this, he said the following Matthew 18 verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We all have great debt with our father. We all have sinned. We all have made great mistakes. We may have even worked passionately against him in our life before without really even knowing it. Whatever we did, we have debt. No matter who you are, you have debt. And so if you bump into another who has wronged you in this life and you go and you strangle him, you go and you desire you, you command him to repay all his debts while not remembering how you were yourself forgiven, how you were yourself shown mercy, how you were yourself shown patience by your father in heaven. Your father in heaven will return to you and say, all those debts I forgave, I reverse. And you now are accountable for it all. And you're going to pay back every last cent of it. And I will throw you in prison until you do. That's what this story say what happened in the story. And that's what the Messiah said would happen to us by our father. If we don't extend mercy as he sh has shown us mercy. So think about the mercies of God, what he has shown his people throughout the pages of the Bible in your closet and think whether you are extending that same mercy to the people you disagree with, to the people who are your enemies to the people who are backstabbing you. Just like you likely backstabbed God earlier in your life. Just like you today have been given forgiveness of debt. Forgive the debt 
of those who have wronged you and even stolen from you. So we learn in conclusion here that God's mercy is unending, but he is just as well to the evildoers. And in the same way, I would submit to you, love him, praise him for all that he is, but also fear him for all that he is, for we will all stand before him. And we, what happened, what we did here in this life and this time we have, it will matter. It will have, we will have to give an account for everything. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but when I stand before him, I don't want me. I don't want to have a laundry list. I don't want to have a lot of stuff. I want him to have few things to bring to me because that's going to be good for all of us. So go and make sure today while you have a chance that that list, that list gets shorter and shorter as you extend mercy upon mercy to people around you. And if when whenever in doubt on what to do, look at what Yeshua did in the examples that he provided. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the example we have and how you had mercy. Lord, I thank you, God, that me being able to speak and we being able to listen to your word is evidence in of itself to your mercy, because, Lord, you have preserved it because you have preserved us to be here, to be able to worship you, to not be tossed aside because of our evil past works. Father, I ask for your forgiveness for when we have not had mercy. We ask that you would help us to have the mercy you had upon us. Lord, I ask for just Lord for you to put in that love uh, for others, that patience for others, even those who who we disagree with strongly, who who are our our enemies, who have betrayed us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, give us the strength, that you would prepare us for that great day where we will stand before you. And I'm Yeshua. Amen. Shalom.